You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Land and Legacy Podcast with Adam Keith and Matt Dye. Matt, we're going to be talking about something very exciting this week. It's a hot topic right now. A lot of guys throughout the country are headed to the woods to look for this and uh, we're going to talk about some of the things with it and cover ways to be successful and other things uh, regarding it shed what? hunting shed hunting shed hunting how'd i guess yeah shed hunting is is honestly it, it's kind of been cool over the years to really see the interest in shed hunting just really grow um you know years not ago, just not just with with guys but it's like this is the way for guys to get their girlfriends and their wives or sisters. kids kids all involved it, it, it really has and i think that's you know one of the benefits of uh, social media the, the ability to share and, and share the interest and share the finds brag you know, about it yeah brag about it too um but you know it, it's it's been so cool to uh to see that progression and absolutely uh, you know it's encouraging it's encouraging because it's great for hunting it's great for the outdoors oh, it's yeah. just great for the sport to see so many people getting involved with shed hunting and and uh, it's, you know, I think Whitetail Properties does a shed rally every year, and there's yeah, tons do. and tons yeah. of people that are going out that week. All across the country, you know, too. People were doing that this year, but you and I were actually in Florida. <laughs> yeah. I felt kind of bad, so I'm like, those people are walking around looking for a shed antler, and we're chasing turkeys. Wearing but... Carhartt jackets, gloves, and stocking yeah, caps. And... and it was 70 degrees in Florida, yeah. so. I don't feel too bad. No, I enjoyed I it. I enjoyed the <laughs> heck out of it, so. But shed they, hunting, yeah. There's... A right and a wrong way to do it, or I wouldn't say a wrong way to do it because you can stumble upon upon them. Yeah, but there's a way to increase the the chances of if you find the success. Them. Yes, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's like I guess there there isn't. I don't know if I'd agree with right and a wrong way because if if you're not I, finding them, I corrected myself. Okay, if you're not finding <laughs> sheds, you're at least still getting exercise. Oh yeah, and you're enjoying the outdoors. Yeah, it's the same way with hunting. Like just because you're not successful. Doesn't mean you're I, I not agree. successful. I agree. If you're not if you're not harvesting an animal, that doesn't mean anything really as far as success for mm-hmm. or failure. So yeah, shed hunting. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff about shed hunting. 
Uh, I think today we've set aside a bunch of questions that we're going to ask each other and talk about right. ways to be successful, reasons for shed antlers, uh, just different stuff regarding the whole sport of shed hunting. Absolutely. And I get really, you got to go and you got to start of why do they shed their antlers? I mean, how do they shed their antlers? And then at what point, what triggers it? When do they do it? And is it the same for all? And, um, Honestly, we, we got to go back to honest, the, the biological nature of deer and what triggers antler growth, the shedding of velvet, and then the shedding and casting of each individual antler. Um, and what that really revolves around is, is photo period, basically the length of daylight each day. And it's a whole chain reaction in the deer's body, but what that daylight, length of daylight triggers is the rise and fall of testosterone levels in a body of a buck. So when testosterone rises um, around September time, late August, that's when the velvet is shed. Then they transition to a peak, most testosterone, the testosterone they have in their body during the middle of the fall. Of course, that's correlated with rut. And um, after that, once the rut's over, testosterone starts to drop and gets to this threshold, if you will, in which um, that drop of testosterone triggers the um, pedicle to basically dry up and and absorb calcium, which makes the antler fall off, and that's how antlers are shed. But each deer is an individual. We know that through whether it's personality and the way they travel, the, the way they react, their temperament around other deer, and it's the same way with shedding antlers. You know, each body is different so they're going to do it at different rates and they're even going to do it from property to property at different times based on the amount of quality forage that is available to them at that time and you know we're, we we hear from clients and, and folks from around the country my deer are shedding my deer are holding antlers still my deer are shedding and it's always a concern it's like yeah it's like what's wrong what's wrong my with deer are still holding their antlers what's wrong with that they must use too much super glue, I guess. I don't know. Right. Like, <laughs> it's it's not that. And we'll hopefully explain that a little more in this. Um, anything else you want to add in that additional explanation of, of shedding? Or even, you know, I think of the amount of testosterone. So much, so much is not just testosterone but photo period controls so much or affects so much in a white mm-hmm. in the world of whitetails and as far as even a, a doe becoming receptive and absolutely and so it's just it's one of those things maybe people can understand more about why shed that time of the year why they're shedding um, but overall it's well, just I'll, I'll dive into this like in, in captive deer herds because photo period doesn't change in a region on a yearly basis the same Basically, that goes into the revolution, the rotation around the sun and where you're at. I'm going to go and dive into captive deer herds and basically the shedding process that they go through. It's the same thing. However, theirs is a lot more um, basically predictable because they have the same amount of food. You know, throughout a given year, they're given the same amount and their location doesn't change and photo period for that exact location from a year to year doesn't change. So in a captive deer herd, they're finding that individual bucks are shedding within two, three days, the same each year. That's how, um, 
I guess, consistent their feed level is, their nutrition level is. Their and stress level. Their stress level. And, and that goes to show exactly how much an effect the photo period has on them and, and what it triggers throughout their um, life cycle or yearly cycle of growing antlers, shedding velvet, peak of the rut, and, and then casting of the antlers. Uh, so in captive deer herds, it is very um, predictable. But then when you get into wild deer, you have so many unknowns and so many um, things that are immeasurable. And that goes to, to food supply, hunting pressure, stress levels, um, climate, and, and so on and so forth. Now, and their stance in the, as far as being the dominant buck or mm-hmm. with their testosterone level. Injury. Injury. That, that throws yeah. everything everything all adds up to determine a drop rate, but that's going to change each year for, yeah. for a buck. So really there's, there's a, a range in which you can expect deer in your area. Kind of an average, shed. like yeah, exactly. two exactly. months, right. like a, a two month or even a month period. That's or kind of that even average. Three months you know, yeah. in, in, in some areas. So it's, it's different. And there's so many factors. You can't, you can't put your finger on one to say, this is why this is when, unless you control those environments like a, like a captive deer herd and um they're finding again that you know it, it's a very um predictable time which they'll, they'll cast an antler so um i think that just goes to show how how important the photo period is and mm-hmm. just again the life cycle of of a deer yeah and, and I, you know i think of I, when I think of shedding and, and different testosterone levels, and we, we kind of touched on it a little bit about um, injury, mm-hmm. different things. And I remember a couple of years ago we were hunting a buck that was kind of, you know, there's some guys that just love big old eight pointers, and this was a big old eight pointer, and he's probably in the 40s and uh, one mid 140s stuff like that. And he all of a sudden December, early December, dropped his antlers. I drove through a food right. plot, and there it was. It was like, what? This is who we were going to hunt during late season. And he just all of a sudden dropped his antlers. And, you know, as as the weeks went on, we started noticing that he was kind of a very, had turned into a very timid kind of almost loner. And we kind of put together that he was probably in a fight during December and got beat, maybe even got injured internally he showed no signs of being injured externally and it was like okay that's sure enough sign that he probably was injured his testosterone levels dropped therefore he shed his antlers mm-hmm. i mean there, there's a chain reaction in which you can see that that occurring you know <clears throat> you see a buck that does get injured um during the rut or, or whatever yes he's like car he, yeah gets hit by a car he's likely going to shed early yeah um you think of all those pictures People go through and they send it in. It's like, what? What's wrong with this deer? Like, it looks like he's already shed his antlers, mm-hmm. and it's November. But you look at him; he's a bag of bones, and it's yep. yeah, it's like once they reach that stressed out period, they're just stressed. Their main focus is surviving. Is surviving. They're not putting energy to produce that testosterone necessary to keep those antlers on their head. That energy is going to surviving exactly. and just finding the next mm-hmm. meal and and being safe. And um, whether it's cold temperatures, surviving the cold temperatures. A deer's number one priority is survival. Correct. And so... Antlers are, are a secondary sexual trait. Yeah. First is survival so they can reproduce. Yeah. Then it's antlers. Exactly. And so that's where people kind of... Hopefully that answers some questions for people that are like, why Why did my buck shed so early? Yes. Now, the, the hope is that 
maybe they their testosterone level dropped so much during November. That's why they lost their antlers that year. The next year, he may hold them till March. Absolutely. If he gets back, gets to eat, and his stress levels decrease, he gets his body back to where it needs to be. His fight and weight. Yep. His fight, if you will. Yep. Um, and so that's that's the hope. Now, if he gets hit by a car and breaks a leg, and who knows what's going to happen? But there's a lot of, again uncontrolled a lot of unknowns yep. with wild deer. And and one of the other things you know, people are seeing they've got a, a neighbor. Maybe it's in their 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 co-op. You know, their QDM co-op, or, or just a friend that's 20 miles down the road, and his deer starts shedding first of January and shed out by the end of January, and he's got deer holding antlers till February. What exactly is the cause of that? And I'm gonna honestly put my finger on a couple different things and say most likely it's the amount of quality food you have available to the deer herd on your property or in their in their home range that might you know extend beyond your property but um i guess or and the amount of stress that they have on their their um their daily activities whether there's a high presence of coyotes in the area and they're they're very watchful and leery of, of you know daylight activity, or they've had you've you've been hunting them daylight to dark each day throughout the season. They're going to have a high stress um, level, and they might be shedding. You know, or you hunting them very smart. You know, yeah. you you can control that, um, but how a deer interprets it, you, you know, that's that's up to them. You know, I I mentioned this earlier, but it's funny to me. I, we had a client that we ran across this year that was like he was almost frustrated. That his deer were still holding antlers. He wanted them. To, he wanted to shed hunt so bad. And he's like, I can't. I'm not. I don't, I don't need to shed hunt right now. My deer still holding, still holding antlers. And it was kind of funny because it's like, that's how that's how addicting I guess it is to hunt mm-hmm. shed antlers. Yeah. But from a from a whitetail manager standpoint, that's awesome. That I say, good holding. on you, buddy. Yeah. High praise. Yeah. Your deer herd have something that the neighboring or most of the deer herd throughout the country doesn't have. And Mm -hmm. that's, and their health to where they can still hold antlers. Exactly. Exactly. That's something. And and when it comes to food plots, a lot of, a lot of, um, misconception is, is built around. You have to have food plots for deer season. Honestly, I want to have enough food plots for January, February, March, because that's a, that's a, a high stress period in a deer's, um, you know, throughout it throughout a year, that that is one of the main stress periods for for deer, mm-hmm. just because of the lack of food in generally present in the landscape. And if you have quality food, whether it's standing grain or, or greens, um, through that time period, I mean, that's a thumbs up. That is the goal from a from a manager standpoint that you want to be able to reach because, um, you know, an indicator of that is deer holding on to their antlers for so much longer. And if a deer comes out of winter in a much healthier standpoint, they're going to be able to put more energy. Remember, we, we talked about earlier, you know, antlers are secondary trait. You know, they're most worried about survival. If they come out of winter healthy, they're going to start putting on inches of antler on prior to a deer that's not as healthy, you know, five miles down the road. So let's say a deer, a buck goes into February mm-hmm. or March. Let's just say March. He goes into March and he's in great health. Right. April is around April, May. He just goes straight from healthy winter to putting on antlers. But yeah. if another buck comes into March and he's already shed his antlers and it's still a stressful period, he goes into, and there's not much food available, he goes into April and May 
he trying goes, to build his weight back up. Exactly. He goes and to then green. Then he up. goes into then right. he goes into making antlers, and he's already stressed out, so he's that much further behind mm-hmm. than the healthy deer. Exactly. As spring green up occurs, I want my deer to, or I say my deer, I want the deer that are using my property to be casting antlers and putting inches of antler, new antler on, instead of getting their body in the condition to which then they can use those resources to build antler. I want them to be ready and ready to rock and roll growing antlers come come mid-April. So let's say you're on a property. Yeah. And your deer, all your bucks are shedding, and it's December, January. Okay. Two miles away, that neighbor has almost every one of their bucks holding antlers. What do, What are you thinking? I'm thinking that I don't have near the amount of quality forage on my property that the deer are need, not only need, but you know, desire during late season. And I also think the hunter standpoint of me comes out two miles away and he's got that much resources. The deer that I'm hunting and want to hunt, even though they're shed, you know, could easily travel that distance and go to that food source. Come wintertime, deer will travel. Deer will change or use a different... They have to do what they got to do to survive. Deer will, you know, use a different portion of their home range, not, you know, maybe outside of their core area, but their home range... And and find those resources, those food resources, because they have to. And you mentioned, you said you may be thinking of food problem, but there may be a high coyote problem. Yeah. There is something lacking in your management if, mm-hmm. if that's going on. If if your deer are completely shed out and not far away, they're all, all holding, 90% of the bucks are still holding their antlers due to the amount of, I guess, health. There's something wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's what, as a habitat manager, wildlife manager, we got to figure out what it is and fix it. And, and cast the time of casting of antlers, and and it may be even uh, good advice to record it down each year. What you're seeing on trail cameras, go, you know, was this a, a you know a dry fall where I, my food plots didn't grow that much? You might see a correlation between that and antler drop. Um, you know, just to know where you stand, you know, in relation to your neighbors, um, kind of get that baseline of you know when are antlers dropping? You know, what do I need to do differently? Um, this next year, how can I better prepare? And um, whether it's you know increase the amount of native browse, this and that. There's so many different variables you can get into, but I think it's encouraging um, and, and suggest recording it what you're seeing on trail cameras um, with the shedding of antlers from year to year. Yeah. Okay. Enough about the biology of it. Yeah. Who cares about that? Let's go find some. Yeah. Let's start talking about finding sheds. I think that's what most of the people would be concerned about how can they find more sheds what can they do let's dive into it so right off the bat we kind of talked about when when to begin looking we kind of already covered that and it's mm-hmm. going to vary property to property but you know trail camera resources you know that's a huge resource to help you know when to go out generally speaking i'm a kind of a february march guy mm-hmm. late february for me yeah and yeah. That's not to say that, you know, this year we found we found a lot of sheds mm-hmm. uh, in comparison to past years, previous right. years on right. on the uh, lease and family farm. But we found a lot of them just going to check cameras. Yes, yes, sure. And, and not necessarily going out of our way to look because we were just going to a, a, a wheat field 
going to check the camera and is like, oh, we'll walk this past this time. And we found, I don't know, probably 10 or so sheds, I think, mm-hmm. this year, something like that. And so I'll, I'll dive off on a little story here. Story away. So growing up, we when we talk about home, it's the Ozark Mountains. A lot of timber, not much ag or crops, if any. Growing up, there was none. And in my whole life, I bet we found less than 10 sheds on the family farm and lease. We just never found sheds. And this was when I would read magazine articles and I would see people talking about, you got to find the, when you're a shed hunter, you got to, you got to look at fence jumps. So I walked, it felt like, and I know one year I walked the entire perimeter of the farm and several internal fences and I never found a shed. And then, no, you got to look on Southern slopes. So I walked Southern slopes. I never found sheds. We would find most of our sheds during turkey season when squirrels and rats would, like, drag the antlers around and, and start chewing off. That's when we would find the sheds. It was very, you know, we used to laugh because we never found a shed that wasn't chewed on. And we would always, my brother and I would always laugh and say, I think the squirrels, the reason we aren't finding, finding sheds is because the squirrels are chewing them off their heads before they ever drop. That was our joke because you never found sheds. And just in the last three years, we've probably found close to 20 sheds and the big difference is food and not just food but diverse food we had cut grain it's cut cornfield that gets cut for silage or harvested in october or even november this year and then gets cover cropped with wheat so there's spilled grain and greens right there in this one field 20 acres and we've started finding more and more sheds. In fact, this year was the first year we've ever found a match set of a hitless buck. Found one in that field and one up on the ridge top above it. First one. And I think that's the power when we start talking about shed hunting, that's the power of food. And that's Absolutely. why when, when you start thinking about, okay, how can I be a successful shed hunter? First off, let's think when are deer going to shed their antlers? And that's... Typically, January, February, March, that three-month window. A lot of times it's February for us, but sometimes it's January. So we start looking at that time period. Okay, what are deer? where are deer spending most of their time during that time period? And you touched on it earlier. That's a very stressful time for deer. That's They're trying to survive the winter. Food is usually limited, especially if you're in the northern country and there's snow on the ground. Food is very limited. So let's start thinking about what is the food source during that time of the year? What is the preferred food source? And that's where this wheat field is the preferred food source. That's why we're finding so many sheds around it. So my advice, I guess, just now trying to get back to where we were on my rambling story, but um, my advice would be find a, create a food source that is preferred food source during those times, during that time of the year. And for us, it's, it's a wheat spilled grain field. And that's just, it's been dynamite for us in timber country. Now, granted, you may not be able to do a large field like that, most likely on a small hunting property. So you start trying to figure out ways to manage timber, manage the old field management, whatever it is that you have to do to create the food source for that time of the year. Yep. That would be my advice. And of course, you know, I'm going to go back to a little bit of a biology standpoint. You know, we talked about the, the, the decrease in testosterone. You know, mo- most of the times when, when deer are 
cast antlers, you know, they're not out chasing does, just haphazardly running around. They have a very strict schedule of food to bed, food to bed. Mm -hmm. They're trying to survive and limit the amount of energy spent um, because, you know, the energy means warmth for them. And they're getting their food so their their energy from their food source. So again, they don't want to expend it on nonsense. They're they're a a pretty strict betting to food um, survival regiment. pattern. Yeah, and 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 again, you're going to see that on more stressful winters. You're going to see that um, play out even more. And um, you know, there there's typically typically here. Um, South facing slopes be, you know, is where I would like to start mm-hmm. when it comes to a bedding standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whatever food supply close to a food source. Yes, whatever. You know, those are the those are the key areas. And where, explain. We'll explain a little bit more. So think about any time a deer is moving, he's running, he's he's on the move, he's burning, he's burning energy, he's burning calories, and the only way to get that back is through food. So that's why they're on this correlation of bedding to food, bedding to food. This is why they're not out running around taking little joy rides through the country. Right. They're they're on that strict pattern because that's how they survive. You know, in the rut, you know, they can lose up to thirty percent of their body weight just in the 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 rut activity. So they're doing what they can in a tough time already to get through the winter. So again, you know, that's just further evidence to you know that that strict regimen of. Bedding and honestly, embedding in a warmer place. That's why we say a south-facing slope because at the time of the year, you know, wintertime, the majority of the sunlight they get the most sunlight on a south-facing slope just because it sits lower in the horizon. And, and if you know, you're in an area that's, and because of that, if you're in an area of snow cover, that's one of the first places to melt. To melt. Absolutely. Yeah. So they get a lot of a lot of radiation from the sun to warm them there, and that means they don't have to burn as much energy. To stay warm because they're they're using the sun to help them. So that just means daytime they're spending a lot of time on the south facing slope. So I'm going to look there um, and, and spend quite a bit of time on those trails that are going to the preferred food source at that time um, of the year. And sometimes you know in an area that's got standing grain, it might be standing grain. Or we noticed this year that a lot of some of our clients. And, um, you know, just folks around the area, you know, I've got, I've, I, you know, planted these soybeans and got standing grain. I'm not finding a shed in it. Well, you know, why is that? You know, deer go to, deer go to grain in the wintertime. I find sheds, I find sheds here year after year. There's mm-hmm. no, there's no antlers in my beans this year. And I've always found sheds there. Why? Well, we got to look at, again, that preferred food source for that time of the year. And that's going to change from year to year. Honestly, this year, deer got lucky. I enjoyed it. It was a pretty mild winter, especially when they were casting their antlers. So when it comes to a mild winter, that green source, the green food plots that we had and and some of our clients had doing consults here in March, I can't tell you how many sheds we found in a, whether it's a clover plot or a cereal um, grain field. And it was just, I mean, shed antlers everywhere. They weren't in the beans. I don't think we found actually a shed we found them, like, along trails, yeah, yeah. But not like it was in a. They were not like feeding in the bean field, and um, again, that's just a correlation to the mild winter. So you know, you're I, taking those trails that are leading to that preferred food source, and that's going to change year to year based on the the current weather conditions. And from a consulting standpoint, that's why we we usually prescribe 
planting diverse species, Correct. planting green fields, planting standing green fields, planting clover fields, all because of the fact that no matter what happens during the winter months, there's a food source. Yes. And so if you have all those mixed through mixed through your property and deer are finding the preferred food source, whether it's 10 degrees or 60 degrees, you know you should have shed antlers on your property because the deer have something to eat no matter what happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I'm going to go back and say, document where you find those sheds. Document, you know, you know the the weather and, and the you know the average temperature you're experiencing and i found you know majority of my sheds this year in greenfield and that way you know you've got record to go back okay this is where i've been finding sheds the past couple of years in conditions like this boom you know right where to go you're likely going to find some of those if those conditions are really similar um you know that that year so you know it's just good record keeping of of um Knowing what the deer are doing, where the food food sources are, and bedding areas as well. Um, it kind of takes me back. We were at a client's property in Iowa, and um, we were doing a, a tour. And this one little, it was a ridge top that kind of been cleared out in the, in the slope. And from from basically the timber, it just kind of stuck out and was south-facing. And we were 150 yards away or so, mm-hmm. but the sun was hitting that slope just right. It's like, man, I bet you, I bet your deer have been bedding over there. And we walked down the slope a little bit further, and Adam and I and the client had separated a little bit, and I just kind of looked over and caught the the um, glint of an antler just right from the sun. I was like, hey, guys, hollered over, and, and sure enough, we walked over. And it was a pretty good little um, shed antler, but it was perfectly situated mid-slope of a south-facing um, slope. and, and you know, just kind of Can I tell it. more of that story? I got to tell the whole story. When we were on that slope, you're like, that that's a good one over there. And you guys got all excited. And we're like, yeah, that looks like a good one. We could just see tines. And you guys are all like, oh, that that's that may be him. They had a, a certain buck they were looking for. That may be him. You're throwing that, me on a that, bus. That, that may be him. We get up there, and it was, what, what a three-and-a-half-year-old deer. Yeah, I don't know what he oh, would score, 130s High somewhere. 30s, something like that. And it was like, no, nope, that ain't the one we're looking for. But, but you know, that's like the first one you see with really good tines. And you see from far, far away, that's the excitement. Explain I'm explaining it. I want to explain. That's the excitement that shed hunting brings, though. You don't know necessarily who it is right away, and, and you know that the walk to that shed after you lay eyes on it is usually pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. And usually you can't find them; you don't spot them that far away. But no. that right there, that where you found that shed was just classic shed hunting to me. Yeah. Oh yeah. In, late, in my years of working season. up in Iowa, southern Iowa, northern Missouri, it was like during that time of the year you saw those little grassy southern south facing slopes. It was almost like a, a grown-up Easter egg hunt. Mm-hmm. And I'll use another extor- story. This year, since we had the mild winter, a lot of the sheds we were finding was around these green fields. But in years past, up in there when uh, in northern Missouri and southern Iowa, whenever we had very cold winters, lots of snow, kind of dark, dreary, cold, cold winters, that's when the shed hunting was the most fun. Because... We knew exactly where the deer were feeding. They were feeding in the standing grains. That's where they spent most of their time. They were bedding on the southern slopes. And so finding sheds was, let's go check the fields. Let's start walking the trails back to the bedding. Let's check the bedding areas. So if we knew exactly pretty much the, the few acres where we knew they were bedding, the trails they were using, and the fields they were using, it was it was like an Easter egg hunt. And we found... Over a hundred sheds in in a couple of days, just just because now of the you're conditions. just showing off. 
I am um, <laughs> a little bit. No, I'm just using it as an example of of having a preferred food source, having yeah. a preferred bedding, and having their conditions, their correct conditions, to be phenomenal shed hunting. Yeah. Now this year was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of frustrated shed hunters trying yeah. to find sheds, um, and and you know. I hate to say it because I'm a little bit, I, my roots for the Ozark Mountains of Timber Country. And so it was kind of humorous to hear the the people that hunt the big ag fields in Illinois and Iowa and northern Missouri and having trouble finding sheds. And it's like, oh, welcome welcome to what it's like for the rest of us <laughs> in yeah, timber exactly. country. Well, I think that's a great, a great uh, transition point because there is a stark difference between shed hunting in a timber country versus shed hunting in... in um, crop country. Let's mm-hmm. talk about the differences and in, in, you know preferred places in crop country versus timber country. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let's talk about it. All right. Um, so you know, as I I gave you that example about finding all those sheds in crop country, and then I told you the story of growing up in timber country and hardly ever finding sheds. And the only way we started finding sheds was because we brought a little bit of the crop country to the timber country. Mm-hmm. But now let's say, okay, since we're a conservation habitat type show, we're going to talk about how do we how do we increase the shed hunting in timber country? Yeah. I don't even think that's one of our questions on our list for today's podcast, but let's just ask that question. How can we improve the shed hunting in timber country? Well, you, knowing what we know, okay, we need a preferred food source from January to March. Right. How do we, How do we do that? That's the you question. You plant standing grain, and you and you have greens. You have those options, like we talked. What if What if you don't have those? Hmm. For me, I would automatically just say, "Okay, what is our What is our property look like? Okay, it's one hundred percent timber. Somehow we got to figure out how to increase the timber food source for those months. And and what's happening during those months? To me. Let's say that that February March time, there's a lot of let's say saplings and stuff that are putting on new buds, getting ready for spring leafing out. And if you have that in your timber, that is likely a preferred food source for deer. They are natural browsers, and you have high concentrations of that. You know, let's say that hundred acres, you select cut 20, 20 acres of it, and you have that browse coming back. The whether it could be a stump sprout or, or you know anything, or, or it could or be a tree cut. top that you hinged yeah, over. Yeah, exactly. You know those buds. It may not seem like it's great food source, but it's, it is very attractive. And uh, you know, let's think about um, what's actually in that bud. That's all the nutrients and stuff that that flower needs to be able to make you know produce. Like when it comes out, that's a lot of energy it takes and a lot of. Um, nutrients in that little small morsel, if you will, that little bite that that deer is going to get off the bud. And there's a lot of energy and stuff packed in there and it's, it's very attractive. So, you know, I'd be looking there and creating those areas in timber. And you say 20 acres and a hundred acres. So to, to think in the future, so Mm -hmm. let's do this 20 acres this year and the next year, let's do another 20. And the next year, let's do another 20. Mm-hmm. And so you always have this. And by the time you complete the whole 100 acres, you can go back to the original 100 or uh, the original 20, excuse me, and start over. 
Yeah. Because there's going to be those stump sprouts or whatever it is, those hinge cuts, where now they're too tall for the deer to consume if they haven't browsed them and kept them at that early succession. Mm-hmm. Now you got to cut them again. Or, or, or you've been using prescribed fire and you've been setting them back through the rotation of cutting mm-hmm. those other those other 20-acre sections. You've been using prescribed fire to follow up in those areas and setting those those stump sprouts or saplings back. And so there's always that that peak environment that, that allows for the most production in that 100 acres of saplings that are within reach for deer. That's where I'd be looking um, because that's going to be the preferred food source during that time of year to find shed. And not that's only that, now let's, okay, we've, we've tried to add the preferred food source, but same thing can be true for trying to do that on south-facing slopes so there is preferred bedding. Mm-hmm. Because not only through that cutting you you adding food so, a food source, but you're also increasing the bedding, right? And and just doing that to me is way more beneficial than a half acre food plot that you threw some wheat in. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think I think that half half acre of, of wheat, yeah, you know, it, it's attractive, but you know they're going to hit that, and then they're going to move to browse because that you know it's a, it's a half acre. Remember, mm-hmm. you got 20 acres of browse over there. So that means that they're going to spend a portion of their time there, and then they're going to spend a portion of their time in that 20 acres. But they're always going to bed in that really nice south-facing slope if conditions are right. On that south, you know, south-facing slope, that's very you know conducive to bedding. And that's that's where I'm going to be looking at that south-facing slope. So you've got areas of food. I think that's where a lot of people, when they're like, well, I have food plots. Why can't I find any shits? Well, deer aren't just feeding in your food plots. Correct. Don't look at food plots as a as a way to... Manage the deer herd and, and, okay, this is their food. This is this is where they're now going to be eating. I just made a food plot. Well, regardless, you, you you basically, the only way you could d- do that is if you went and grabbed them by the back of the head and, and held Force them. Force fed them. Force fed them. <laughs> yeah. You can't do that. So yeah. understand that they're still going to feed on native vegetation. Absolutely. You, what's the, the saying? You, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. You yeah. can plant a food plot, but you can't necessarily make those deer only feed in that food plot. They're, again, they are browsers. They will find and and feed on various various plants throughout just a given day. Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of the timber country strategy, if you will. Crop um, country. Well, that, you that, know, we didn't talk about again those fence crossings. I know you haven't had success with it, but it creek crossings, creek mm-hmm. crossings, and you know, again, you know, if you got steep banks and tough places to cross, you know, a deer are gonna, you know jostle around a little bit there's an opportunity to find a shed there mm-hmm. um in those areas and, and pinch points too you know just areas of high traffic natural travel areas yep. that's where it, for me if i'm shed hunting i'm going okay here's my preferred bedding here's my preferred food source now i'll look and see if i can find the trails in between and that's where i'm going to spend most of my time shed hunting yeah not saying you're not going to find one some in the yard or out well, wherever some just random. this just this week we were in Oklahoma, and we were we were gosh we had covered I don't even know how large that bottom field was, but hundred plus acres of small like cereal grain and just green and lush, and there was food plots and other locations, and we were driving around just cutting through cutting across a pasture field that was not even it was dead bahia grass and, and, and broom sedge broom sedge, and there's a match set twenty yards away just laying right there. We actually scared the landowner. We're like, hey, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. And he thought we had seen, he thought it was a thought rattlesnake was or a something. Rattlesnake. And uh, we jumped out and, and um, there's a match set of sheds from one of their hitless bucks laying right there in the pastures. Like, 
why was he here? There wasn't even any benefit, but he was likely just cutting across. Like you're going to stumble upon those, you know, this, a deer is not just going to stay on that trail. It's not just going to feed in that food plot or just bed in this one south facing slope. He's going to move around, but those are your best chances, your highest percentage, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, the buck I harvested last October, mm-hmm. sticker eight. My dad had found the shed from when, from the year prior, in a cemetery, surrounded by graveyard dead. Yeah, uh, surrounded by, um, what's that, uh, chain link fence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, a, a four-foot-tall chain link fence. For some reason, that deer jumped over and shed his antler out there, and Dad found it while he was mowing it. And it's just, it, there's no, that's one of those sheds where you just find randomly you're not going to have a strategy to, unless, you're, <laughs> unless your strategy is boots on the ground, let's walk and walk and walk and walk. Things. That's the only way you're going to find that one. But right. on average, you're going to find more sheds using the strategies of, Preferred food source, preferred bedding, trails in between. Right. Let's make that work. Now, let's talk about, you know, a crop country. Crop country is, I hate to say it, but it's somewhat easier. Like shooting fish in a barrel? No. I, I hate to discredit those guys, but... It, no, they're that, working hard. They're working hard. But I think a, a guy in timber country would laugh when he, when he would hear a crop country guy talk about how tough mm-hmm. it was to find sheds. Right. So... In crop country, and this goes even consulting, as far as our management strategy, a lot of times, there's a lot more that goes into it. But from a food standpoint, you think about crop country, there's food growing everywhere during the summer months. Right. And then come September, October, November, a lot of harvesting goes on. And with the modern combine, there's not much spilled grain anymore. So there's food everywhere, then Nowhere. And a lot of times, depending on where you're at, a lot of that gets chisel plowed over, disc over, so it's just dirt. Mm-hmm. There's no food there now. And then it's left to just food plots or areas where hunters have just left. Paid for standing grain. Yeah. Or they planted two acres of, of right. soybeans and they just let it grow. That's where it becomes the preferred food source during that late winter. It's and that's easy. why I've heard a lot of people having trouble finding these sheds during... In crop country this year because we a have such winter. a mild winter. Mm-hmm. And soybeans are carbohydrate. They're high energy. And a deer, it's already warm. The sun's already warm. Them. They have a winter coat on. They're already warm. They don't need something heating them up internally right. in the form of carbohydrates. So they're eating protein. They're going to go and eat greens, whatever it is. And in a lot of those areas in previous years, there's been no need for these green fields. Right. Hunters haven't left green fields because they know the power of soybeans, but because we had such this mild winter, they've been eating other food sources. That's where we've had this dilemma of I'm not finding the sheds that I found in the past years. Mm-hmm. That's where, so from a management standpoint, crop country, you're going to find a way to leave standing grain. Maybe it's just an acre, maybe it's two acres, whatever it is. You want a preferred food source from January, February, March. And and I, I think that travel patterns, because bedding areas are are generally limited mm-hmm. because especially in, crop country. especially in crop country because everything is ag so areas that aren't farmed generally are just because of the lack of option or bedding areas so mm-hmm. everything just seems to be you've concentrated food sources and concentrated bedding areas and that's where you're going to find the sheds and then the bottlenecks or travel like corridors to and from those areas are are pretty typical it's a fence row Mm-hmm. Or it's a ditch, drainage ditch that they can't farm. 
and steep you, little wooded ridge, whatever it is. Yeah, you walk those pockets of bedding area, you walk those clearly defined transition areas or travel corridors, and you check the food source, mm-hmm. and you find the sheds. Yeah. I make it sound easy, but you, when you when you say I'm going to go find a match set of one particular buck, then then, then that's the challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And the other part of that is when you think about we, it's just something we ought to talk about every, maybe until people. People start talking about it to us, but you're talking about that preferred bedding in, in mm-hmm. its areas that, and it up there in those crop country, a lot of times that's cedar trees. Ah, and yeah. and in the winter months, yeah. those cedar yeah, thickets yeah, yeah. are colder. They're, They're colder cold. even during the summer months because, just like we mentioned previously on uh, on another podcast, is. They're a lot colder because there's no sunlight reaching the forest floor. Mm-hmm. So if it's winter months and a deer is trying to stay warm, why would he go bed in, in a cedar thicket where it's colder? Mm-hmm. Now, there, for me, there's really one main explanation, security. Security. And, and I think this is another one. A lot, a lot of times it's thought of that cedars are good windbreaks. And honestly, they are. You can get in there and it, it blocks the wind a little bit. But... Because it blocks the wind, it also blocks the sun. It blocks the sun. But when you compare that to a native warm season grass stand, and you bed down like a deer would, those grasses and the diversity of those grasses actually shear the wind. You don't feel wind when you lay down on the ground in a native warm grass stand. Mm-mm. But yet, you have the sun, the warmth of the sun radiating through that. Mm-hmm. The sun will reach that and reach a deer and warm it up. But the wind won't affect it. So that is preferred. That is what you're trying to. That's why those southern slopes in the in the native grasses are so magical when you find a shed. That's buddy. like when you found that found that one shed was in that exact. Yeah, yeah. It was picture perfect. Yep. Yep. So we've covered pretty much all that. Um, you know, a lot of people are using dogs now to yeah. to shed hunt, mm-hmm. and I've seen every type of dog it seems like out shed hunting right and the the question i think i get a lot is what what in what is it that a dog can smell or how is a dog going to find an antler yeah it doesn't it doesn't even smell how are they going to find it there there's there's two different ways and dogs find sheds based on actually seeing them like visible seeing them like you can train them to see them They, they know what a shed looks like what it appears to be but smell, there's very little smell to a shed antler, but one part in particular, and that is the pedicle, the base of the antler. If you flip it over and it's a fresh shed, you'll actually see a ring around the pedicle, and it's a waxy coating, basically. And that's what you know was attached and helped you know, hold on the antler, and among a bunch of different other things. But that is the only thing that has a scent that dogs smell. That or a little bit of blood. A little bit of blood. If it's extremely fresh. And sometimes in that little waxy area, you'll find a couple hairs. Mm-hmm. And that's it. There's very little smell. But trained right, those dogs can catch. And, and you'll, obviously you're working into the wind. That's just common sense when you're, when you're shed hunting with a dog. Um, so they can smell and pick up on that. But very little scent is produced. So those dogs better... I, I think I'd train a bloodhound or something. <laughs> so <laughs> I one, too. I don't have to run them down. But two... Because he's got a daggum good nose. Yeah, he can. That would be him. what I would do, and I would also train him to be a, a blood tracker. Oh yeah, absolutely. maybe that's what we ought to do. Open up a business of shed antler blood trackers, bloodhounds. Yeah. Well, now no thanks. Fifteen hundred people are going to do that because you just said it. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. 
There's your new ideas when you become very successful. Yeah, we'll 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 get free um, deer retrieval services then. There you go. Yeah, I shoot mine pretty good. So I shoot mine pretty good. (laughs) The last rib. Oh, okay. So our next question, Um, we kind of covered it, but when do you begin looking? Yeah, it's it varies so much. It varies year to year. um, You know, based on all those other factors we've covered. I, I think honestly, a great indicator is just. We run our cameras year-round, um, and just, just follow along. Watch on your trail cameras. If deer start and shed, hey, you know, deer start and shed, I can go find them. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're carrying antlers. You, know, you say that. For me, from a habitat standpoint, and a lot of times we we talk about we have these sanctuaries. A lot of times when we're consulting, we lay mm-hmm. out in our management reports, we have designated sanctuaries. Right. And the only time you go in there is if you shoot a deer or you're shed hunting, yeah. and that's about it. Right. For me, if I'm really trying to limit the stress levels of the deer herd, I really I'm keeping a close eye on my cameras, but I'm going to have an idea of when 75 percent plus have started or have already shed. Right. That way, if I do walk through a bedding area, I only walk through it one time. That's a great point. Yep. And and that way, I'm not. Yeah, you know, I don't want to be one of those. I don't want to be going into the bedding area every weekend looking for sheds. Right. It's like right. they leave a deposit this week. Okay, there's the one shed. I'll come back next week and hopefully mm-hmm. find the other side. I don't want to. I don't. From a wildlife manager standpoint, I don't like doing that. You want to limit intrusion into a sanctuary, and that's why I like this idea of the whole shed rally of one weekend. Everybody goes and walks their properties, mm-hmm. and they start looking for sheds. And then after that, let's focus on turkeys. Yeah, absolutely. And and that way, you can make one big haul of all your shed antlers, and that's it. Yep. Now, not to say you're not going to find one going to check at cameras like we've done, but. Mm-hmm. If you're going into bedding areas, try to limit it to only one time that year. Just just because you want that to be security cover, not just cover. You want right. them to feel very secure. And they catch you one time going through there and that's it. They're not probably going to uh, consider that danger or a harmful area. They're going to go back and use it. Mm-hmm. So that's no my doubt. advice on, on that standpoint. So we're looking for our area. Mid-March is when we are typically going yeah. to look for yep. shed antlers. Yep. So that that's gonna that's gonna vary, but our area exactly. We're we're looking to mid March and the food supply that we that we offer. And that may change over the years because again we've got a lot of products to do that are increasing mm-hmm. amount of food and quality of food in, in the area. So we might be looking more at the mid to late March here in the coming mm-hmm. years just for knowing that deer are gonna be a lot more healthier. Mm-hmm. So, so let's say let's say I found a shed. I get asked this a lot and I've seen some pretty nasty nasty looking sheds but uh let's say you find a shed and it's got a little bit of it's not a clean flush uh-huh flat spot on the bottom of the a little bit of the, skull it's got a little bit of a bone or almost kind of a spike yeah what do you what a, is it, does that alarm you it, it does right off the bat I'm, i i say oh no and yeah. and to me a clean break just lets me know that there's a possibility that deer might not be showing up again next year on camera. And and, and the reason behind that is that <clears throat> what's right underneath the pedicle is the deer skull. And so, when you say clean break, you don't mean a clean shed. You mean a clean break with the skull. So there's still yes. bone attached. There's yes. still skull fragments attached. Yes. Yeah. To that actual shed. So basically what, what the likely story behind that is, is that you know during the rut there's an injury or you know even a car accident has has cracked the actual skull of that deer and they've survived 
through hunting season. Um, and when they cast that antler, a portion of the skull, fragment of the skull, has cast as well. And um, there's there's a type of bacteria that can actually grow in to that wound and increase the amount of, basically, the skull dissolves based on that bacteria. And uh, you can turn into a cranial abscess where you get into the actual... Um, well, it starts as a cranial abscess and then gets into the brain. And once it gets to the brain, unfortunately, that deer does um, does perish. But, you know, you know, you can have a crack and then that bacteria gets into it. It starts cranial and then over time with a shed or just the, the progression of that bacteria. Way, if, you, if you see bone fragments, major bone fragments, probably don't consider him being on your hit list next year because he's right. probably not going to make it. Right. And, and, and no, this isn't just a three, four year old buck deal. I've, I've, I've picked up a lot of, um, forked horns and spikes, even with, um, fractured, um, skulls and stuff like that. So uh, two and, in my <clears throat> life have been nasty. Mm-hmm. When I say nasty, knowing they're not going to make it. Right. One of them actually looked like, you know, you take a European mount or a skull mount yep. and something you hang it up on a barn wall and all of a sudden over time the, it splits. Right. I actually found a shed that looked a lot like that, mm-hmm. where portion, a multiple large inches portion. of his skull came with the shed. Right. Probably told me he was hit by a car. He had a major head injury. Major trauma. And that that skull fra- was fractured, and that was shed yeah. with it. And, and it may have been knocked off, not even as a shed antler. It's just mm-hmm. knocked off during a fight or whatever. But that deer probably didn't make it. The other one was just this year, and the landowner sent it to me, a picture, and he said, what is up with this? And it was shed antler or antler bone. And then it went down and had a flat portion on the bottom side of that bone. And he said, is this deer going to make it? <laughs> and I said, probably not because you see that portion of bone that sits below that antler. That being now removed means his brain is exposed to mm-hmm. nature. Mm-hmm. And I've seen pictures of deer that have had antlers cast and had large wounds. It, it always amazes me of, you know, the resiliency of deer. Like basically this deer's brain was exposed. I mean, you could mm-hmm. see skull fragment removed yet. This deer was still alive mm. and they're extremely resilient. But as soon as infection starts to set in, likely the, the, um, the result's going to be death. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're still there. They amaze me, but, it, it, it's the a demise is, is coming. Yes. Yeah. And um, that's unfortunately the likely result of, of finding a cast antler like that and the reason behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of takes me back to buck I harvested a couple of years ago. As soon as we got to the deer, we knew the deer had actually been fighting pretty aggressively. It had gotten um, its left eye punched out while it was blind. And we get up to um, the deer after you know shot him and put hands on him and see that there's actually pus and infection coming out of the base of the right antler. Um, and after a European mount, we discovered that there was a hole and a crack in the skull right underneath of that antler. Um, so that bacteria that I mentioned earlier had actually started to set in, and it was a cranial abscess at that point and progressing to a brain abscess. And if that deer had survived, it hadn't been harvested, uh, we may have found a portion of his skull attached to that antler, or he might not have even made it that far and died beforehand. But who knows? Um, I took care of him. Yeah. It was a fun hunt. 
That was a fun hunt. I was there. That's right. That was, that's right. That was a fun hunt. So let's say you find one now that's just a clean break. What do you? Uh, not a clean break. A yeah. clean shed. It's just right. perfect on the bottom. And Ooh. by perfect, I mean just a nice, smooth little almost cup, bottom mm-hmm. of a cup. Yeah. What do you, What do you learn from that? I think there's a lot to be said for <clears throat> the location of where you find it. Um, you know, I, again, we're, we, we've talked about preferred food source and preferred bedding during that time of year. And I think late season hunting doesn't necessarily get enough attention um, as it should because late season hunting, if you get the right conditions, can be absolutely dynamite. Deer, again, they're, they're not focused on necessarily breeding as much they're focused on more of a survival their testosterone is dropped and they're on that bedding to feed pattern and a lot more predictable and if you get the cold weather you can get deer on their feet during Very daylight hours and um, you can capitalize on that so for the fact that early season you're there's such a hormonal change as testosterone oh, yeah. levels are rising they met a, they're probably in a bachelor group and all of a sudden they're trying to break out they're they're they were friends now they're enemies and yep. they're trying to separate and they're trying to find their their new little core area and so early season even though they may still be going to alfalfa field or using a food plot it can change daily acorns are very falling. quickly yeah, acorns again then that's during mid-season we're dealing with the rut yeah that's that's just such a wild card you don't know what you're gonna mm-hmm. get he could chase a doe two miles to the neighboring property yep. late season is one of those consistent hopefully more consistent than the other two such a driven on survival Still looking for receptive does. Don't get those me wrong. Those fawns come into heat, and you know they'll chase and bump around. And check but those fawns are still going from bedding to they're feeding. They're very consistent. So pattern. they're kind of on that same pattern, even though they may not have the same agenda. Right. They're still on that same pattern. Exactly. That's why late season is so awesome to hunt. It, it, That's it, why they call it deer simber. Yeah. When you get the weather, the cold temperatures. Sorry, we won't be doing podcasts. We'll be in a tree stand because it is it it can be that dynamite and if you've if you've been able to locate or have a buck that's showing up regularly on on a trail camera whether it's daylight or dark in that area you can typically determine where he's bedding and that food source and and just kind of get in the middle and, and figure it out and it if he's on that pattern and you have that cold weather he will he will continue to do so um so when i find a shed that's what I start associating that deer with. You know, it's late season. Um, if I get the, the the cold temperatures in December or January um, and he cast his antlers when it was a cold, you know, food source. You know, I've got standing grain here and it's standing grain there, you know, in December or January as well. I know that he's likely going to do the same thing next year. Exactly. Like I, That's what, for me, when I find a shed... I flip it over and see if there's any skull attached. Yeah. If it's a clean shed, I say, okay, great, he's healthy. Yep. I've already probably watched him on trail cameras, or maybe I haven't. And I'm like, okay, this is a fresh shed, or this is this has been here a while. Mm-hmm. But if it's fresh, nah. If it's just, a fresh it out. shed, I'm saying, wow, he's really healthy. Looks yeah. like a great shed. He's right. in this area during the late season. Mm-hmm. Then I automatically am like, okay, where is he bedding? Where is he feeding? Probably have an idea. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this is my plan for next year. I'm Add it thinking. to the bank, and yeah. I'm thinking about next year. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. that's the process for me when finding mm-hmm. a shit. Mm-hmm. Make sure he's healthy. Figure out how I can get on him. Right. You know, put those puzzle pieces together. That, that's honestly what it is. Through the life of a buck that, that, you're, that you're watching from two to three to four, you know, each year and each shed you find, I, I, I 
correlate them to a puzzle piece. And then when you harvest them, that puzzle is, is complete. And um, it's just a further further knowledge of what that buck is doing, where he is preferring to be. Um, and you might even learn something about your property you didn't know. There might be, you know, if you've got a, a large area, you know, or, or a, you know, a couple trees have fallen down during a windstorm and there is that early succession in the middle of the timber and you stumble upon and you find a shed, that, that woody browse is, you know, a, a good indicator that that's where he's going to be preferring. Or you um, find the shed, let's say you're just out turkey hunting that spring yeah. and you find a shed way away from where you thought he was. Right. For example, we had a buck on our family farm that was, we thought he was a homebody. We didn't think he ever, and we found him two ridges over in the middle of a cattle pasture on a mm-hmm. slope. And we're like, I had no, we had, we even had cameras over there. And didn't capture him. We never captured him. And mm-hmm. we're like, I had no idea he would, went this far. And then it kind of makes you go, well, if he's going that far west, how far north is he going? Yeah. How far south? How far east? Like, he's got a bigger range than we thought. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that deer vanished, and yeah, part of it probably just a huge home range, and we never found him. Yeah. So. Yeah. And again, you know, I think I think my biggest thing is when I find one late season, I just automatically make that connection to to next next year, next season. What can I do? And maybe maybe you've got plans to put a food plot in that area, you know where you find that shed if you find it in the middle of the timber or, or transition you've already had plans oh yeah maybe i should put a food plot there it might be a good idea because if you've got a late season forage that they're preferring he's likely going to show up there um during that time of year mm-hmm. and just like a mule that that match set we yeah, found yeah we found him in the middle of the wheat field right. um so it kind of tells us okay next year if we haven't if we haven't got on him in september october november Probably a chance he's going to show up down there. Yeah, most absolutely. likely because he yep. knows it's a it's a food source now. Exactly, it's, a food it's been there like during that for the winter years. Yes, and yeah. honestly, because that's really the only massive food source in your area, that's why we're finding those sheds more and mm-hmm. more each year. More deer are are coming to this property. We saw deer in it was January or really late. It was late December that we hadn't seen on camera before come out to that wheat field. And like what? Who's that? Mm-hmm. I don't really know who that is, and that's just. More deer. That's from the power the, of food. Yeah, exactly. Um, in an area that doesn't offer that much food. So, mm-hmm. well, I think that pretty well covers our. I, that, that's I right at an so. hour of shed hunting. Hopefully, everybody learns something about how we go about finding sheds and ways they can improve their habitat to find more sheds. Um, and finding more sheds hopefully means more more non hunters are. I, I see shed hunting being that way, as we mentioned at the very beginning. Is Non-hunters are getting involved in the outdoors, yeah, because now they have something to search for. It's not. It's just like mushroom hunting to me. Yeah, it's like my mom was always a mushroom hunter, even though she's not a not a actual deer hunter Mm -hmm. or turkey hunter, but she always liked and well, just just like the landowner um, who 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 owns Prairie Hollow. He's from Florida. He's never found a shed. He's not a deer hunter. But what's one of his goals? I want to find one an arrowhead, but two, I want to find a shed antler. I just think mm-hmm. that's awesome to be able to pick that up. I mean, it's a, it's a treasure. It's from you know something from you know, that area, and I you know I'm not a deer hunter. I don't care what it means or whatever. But I, it's just a new way and an interesting way to introduce him to the outdoors. So he's excited about it. Using that, hopefully, this encourages people to consider inviting people that aren't hunters right to the outdoors. Possible, to... possibly you have a lease, and yeah. um, you know the land. More eyeballs is better. Hey, that's right. And you well, might have to give up that shed, but you're going to find out where that deer is preferring during the late season. So I, I, there's, there's so much good that can come from shed hunting. 
um, again, introducing people and just the information, the puzzle pieces that you gather. And uh, I love it. It's yeah, fun. I think that covers it. I think so, too. All right. We'll see you all next time. Sounds good. See y'all.